Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, we are taking a message from the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox, primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. Send me your jokes, your questions, your concerns, uh, topics you want me to hit up, or maybe you want to sponsor the podcast like today's sponsor, Brain Power 1800 XL. Uh, it is a supplement that you cannot buy on the internet. And let us let me read you their pitch about what this sponsorship will do. Uh, hello, Primary Care Pod listeners. Uh, today, we bring you our Brain Booster Supplement. What does this brain supplement do? You just take 18 pills a day, and you can have more brain power. You can analyze all the world's problems. Uh, improve your memory. You'll even forget that this was a huge scam. Better focus and concentration. You'll be able to focus in on what's wrong with the world and concentrate Concentrate on it and increase your mental clarity. Ooh, including lifting your mood as a potential side effect. Ooh, these are so good. Uh, you'll you'll never you'll never experience uh, fatigue or not thinking clearly or being dull ever again. Oh, what an amazing product. Uh, the main ingredient is cocaine and methamphetamine. All right, thank you so much, uh, Brain Booster 1600XL. I think that was the name I made up. Uh, thank you so much for this for the sponsorship. Uh, but seriously, folks, a uh, little side fact, 25% of your patients, 25% of the U.S. adult population, well, I guess if you're not in the U.S., but 25% of the U.S. adult population takes a brain-boosting, quote-unquote, supplements. Isn't that crazy? 25% of our patients buy into this garbage that by taking something in a pill, um, you can suddenly have better brain power, more mental clarity, increased focus. I, I read those bullet points off a, off a website that I just pulled up. But 25% of the U.S. population, uh, incredible. Uh, so uh, visit our sponsor's website at some made-up website that I just made up. And uh, yep, let's jump into the pod. Bob, let's hit it up. Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and other students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast for my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views, policies of my employer, past, or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List, your COVID companion, your podcast pal, uh, your best friend. Uh, well, maybe not that far, but we're, we're getting closer and closer uh, the more we do this. So uh, anyways, uh, we today are going to be talking about a really great study. It's, it's one of my favorite topics. I, I know I say that a lot. But it's one of my favorite topics, and that is medication reduction, especially in the elderly. So uh, this study comes to us. You may have already read it. Um, this study comes to us uh, on May 26, 2020 in JAMA. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I like it so much is because the title is Effect of Antihypertensive Medication Reduction Versus Usual Care on Short-Term Blood Pressure Control in Patients with Hypertension Aged 80 Years, old, 80 years and Older, the Optimized Randomized Clinical Trial. Um, I think this is a pretty big study. You, you, this may not be a surprise. You may have seen the results of the study, um, but I want to talk about it because medication reduction, especially in geriatric patients, is one of my all-time favorite topics. Uh, we are going to have a talk, uh, a podcast topic sometimes on on medication reduction and medications in older populations, pharmaco, uh, polypharmacy, and uh, all the issues in older populations, but reducing medication burden is one of the things that will make your patients love you more than anything else in the entire world, um, including stopping their uh, their brain power XL 1600, whatever I called it. Um, 
but when we talk about re reduction of medications, it has multiple effects. Number one is we really have to make sure that these medications are even necessary because a lot of these medications get added either in the hospital and never get stopped, added by uh, a specialist and never followed up on. A uh, patient keeps taking them even when the doctor told them to discontinue them. So always assessing if the patient needs these medications is pretty appropriate. Now, in this study, specifically, they looked at antihypertensives. And so they looked at you had to be 80 plus and you had to have a blood pressure in the study. They wanted anybody who had a blood pressure of 150 systolic under 90, right? So under 150, under 90, okay? That, that qualified you to be in the study and you had to be taking multiple antihypertensives. These aren't people just on a single agent, but I think that we can apply these same findings to this study with single agent drugs. But this is for multiple agent drugs, two or three, and sometimes even more. And so what they did, oh, and by the way, uh, this is coming to us across the pond in the United Kingdom. So uh, those of you uh, across the pond, uh, good day, mates. Nope, that's Australian. Just kidding. Hello there, wankers. Okay, I think that's closer. Um, they, the, the, you probably know all about this. You probably already read this. But let's let's kind of analyze, analyze, let's analyze this and talk about how this applies to the rest of us in primary care. So what this was, uh, they looked at 80 plus year olds and uh, there's about, there's 500, the end was 569 patients randomized into two different groups. And in one group, they said, standard, standard care, you're going to come in every four weeks, we're going to check your blood pressure. Okay. And in the other group, they said, you're going to, we are going to stop one of your medications. That's why there had to be two. So you had to stop one of them. And then we're going to have you come back in four weeks and we're going to recheck your blood pressure. Okay. And they have a really great uh, algorithm. Uh, so first of all, uh, they wanted to stop any medications using the stop criteria that were contraindicated. Now, stop criteria is a whole nother topic, but uh, I think it's a really, really good tool uh, for your geriatric patients to review, to see, make sure all their medications are appropriate, should, should, should be stopped, not be stopped. They use the algorithm of NICE. Uh, N-I-C-E, which is the treatment for hypertension where you start with a calcium channel blocker and then you add an ACE inhibitor and then you add a thiazide diuretic, okay, or thiazide-like diuretic. Now, uh, I, I found this, these statistics interesting in terms of what percent of their patients in the United Kingdom were on different ones. I think we see a different mix in the United States. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what they did was they tried to identify which of the these agents would be like fourth lines, so like beta blockers, for example, and stop those first, uh, or third line or second line therapies, depending on how many you had, and then discontinue them. So again, you'd probably stop your thiazides. If you if you were on those three, you'd stop thiazides, then you'd stop ACEs, and you'd keep calcium blockers unless they had contraindications like stage four heart failure, con uh, chronic constipation, et cetera. Those are in the stop protocol um, st or stop criteria. Uh, so that's kind of and, and that's kind of the, the clinical judgment that they had in the study. Uh, and of course, any fourth or, or other agents, um, for example, like uh, alpha blockers uh, or uh, potassium sparing diuretics like spironolactone, for example, those would be stopped way before the other ones. Okay, so that's the procedure. So uh, what you do is you'd stop a medication, uh, doctor's discretion, but based on that, based on that uh, workflow, and that's a really good workflow. I highly recommend that um, for us in primary care in general. And then you come back and you check at four weeks. If they're under 150, great, fantastic. Uh, follow up again in four weeks. So, and then they're going to continue out till 12 weeks. But if they were in a range of 150 over 90 to 180 over 110, right? So in that definitely hypertensive range, they are going to recheck blood pressure in one week. Still in that range, they're going to restart the patient on a lower dose of the medicine that they stopped, right? So if you're on a 25 HCTZ, they're going to put them on like 12 and a half. Uh, if it's, you know, let's say they were on 40 lisinopril, they're going to bring them back in at 10 or 20. There was no strict protocol on restarting what the lower dose was, but a, a lower dose. And then uh, again, check them again in four weeks. 
And then at four weeks, again, same protocol. Uh, if ever, if ever they were over 180, over 110, they would restart the original dose. If there was evidence of accelerated hypertension or, or, uh, dangerous, uh, neurological symptoms, respiratory symptoms, cardiac symptoms, visual symptoms, they would, uh, immediately start original dose and, and seek quote expert advice, which I, they weren't very clear in the, at least in the handout that they, that they put in the uh, table about what that meant, but probably contact the emergency room or have them seen immediately, uh, based on, you know, if it's neurological, see a neurologist, if it's cardiac, see a cardiologist, et cetera. Okay. So that was the protocol. And they kept checking these people over the course of 12 weeks, uh, increasing the, putting them on a lower dose and then trying to, trying to, um, keep them on that lower dose until the end. Okay. So it really wasn't clear though. Uh, let's say they restarted on lower dose lisinopril, for example. It appears that uh, if they were lower, if their blood pressure was lower than 150 over 90, they did not discontinue again. So once you were there, they just kept you on that lower dose. You weren't like continually taken off a medicine. They were they just left you there at the end of the study. Okay. So what did they what did they see? Basically, there was no statistical difference at the end of the study for the percents of patients in the control group or in the regular. In the control group versus the intervention group, there was 86% were under 150 uh, in the control group. Uh, sorry, 87.7% the control group and 86.4 in the intervention group. Okay, so almost the same percentage of patients were in the appropriate blood pressure. So right, that's pretty good. Um, and in addition, the intervention group got off an average of 0.6 at the end, had 0.6 fewer medications. So about 38% of the people in the intervention group were completely off a full medication by the end of the study, which that's pretty great. Uh, so 38% not being on a single, reducing a single medication is amazing, uh, especially since those people, 38.1%, uh, yeah, 101 participants, had no increase in systolic blood pressure at all. So that's, that's amazing. So we were able to reduce, follow the guidelines, and not have any increase in their systolic blood pressure at 12 week follow up. Okay, that's pretty great. So I think that when we when we take this study home, we know that 66% of patients right maintained their medication reduction. Okay, so we're able to stay off of or have a lower dose. So two thirds of the intervention group were being over prescribed in retrospect. And we do this all the time. We start a medication because people are hypertensive, and then we don't stop it or we don't lower it when their blood pressure looks normal. And this study is proof that we're we're definitely over medicating people. Now, I, I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting because we see this with statins, right? We put people on a statin, and then they're 80 years old and they're not getting any benefit from their statin, and yet we keep them on it for primary prevention. And we know that we should discontinue it. And blood pressure or blood sugar regimens, right? We get these people under seven, and we control them super well. And then they get to be older and frail, and then we keep them on really intense glycemic control, and they have more issues because we didn't de-escalate. And, and we tend to do this where our, our geriatric patients, you have them, I have them, they end up having 20 medications on their problem list. It ends up being super overwhelming. It keeps um, our pharmacists in, in, in business. It keeps, uh, you know, it keeps the side effects present. And yet one of the greatest things as a primary care physician is to be able to have your 85-year-old and say, you know... Uh, let's try off this medication and I'll see you back in a couple weeks and we'll monitor. And these are usually people who don't mind coming into the clinic and would much rather have, you know, a, a, an appointment every four weeks or at least call me with their blood pressure readings, you know, do a virtual visit, call me, uh, send me, you know, your, 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 let me talk to my nurse and get your blood pressure readings at home uh, and we'll keep an eye on you. They'd much rather do that 
then continue to take extra more and more and more and more pills. So uh, again, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about too, you know, they used uh, 84% of the people uh, in the studies were on ACE inhibitors, great choice. 70% were on calcium blockers, and only 38% of people in the United Kingdom on the, in these studies, these 80 plus year olds, were on thiazides, which I think is smart, right? You're not you're not getting dehydration, you're not, you're not getting volume depletion, you're not getting electrolyte issues as much uh, with those. Uh, but I, we have we have a lot more of our patients on thiazide So compared comparatively, um, I thought that this was a a difference between what you'd see in the United States if we did this study and versus the United Kingdom, I think. Uh, they they had actually equal number of patients on beta blockers as they had on thiazides. Uh, 39% uh, beta blocker, 38% thiazides, which, again, get rid of your beta blockers in the elderly unless they have significant cardiovascular disease. Um, if it's just for hypertension, probably can have a better choice. Alpha blockers, alpha-1 blockers, uh, for, 14% versus 13% uh, control versus uh, basically 14% in the alpha alpha blockers, so a significant amount. Again, uh, hard to know if that was also for BPH. Uh, there's a ton of other, these people had a ton of other comorbidities. I mean, they had uh, cardiovascular disease. They had, I was, I was looking at this, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, coronary artery disease. So yeah, I mean, there's there's people that so there could be there could be some reasons why people are alpha, on alpha blockers, not just for hypertension. Um, centrally acting hypertensive, I'm assuming that's like clonidine, uh, 1.4%, potassium sparing diuretics only at 1.8%, which I thought was interesting, uh, that only 1.8% of uh, patients in the study were actually on uh, a potassium sparing diuretic. So uh, again, like spironolactone or something like that. So uh, again, take home point of this is uh, these are things that we can do in our own patients uh, as primary care clinicians. We can have our patients who come in for their medication recheck. You see them and you say, hey, your blood pressure looks fantastic today. Uh, you've been exercising more. You talk to them. Maybe they've lost weight. Maybe they've been exercising more. Maybe they haven't, but maybe their blood pressure is now just going down over time. Maybe it's at 120, 120, maybe it's at 130. And you say, hey, how about we try and reduce this? This study says it looks like it's safe. Uh, there was only 12 people out of 200 in the control group that had to, that had, uh, uh, you know, I think what did I want to say here uh, that they had a adverse event from this, and again we talk about uh, it, you know hypertensive emergency being one of those things. Uh, but five compared to five percent of the control group, so this is usually something very safe that it's certainly okay that you can try to discontinue a medication completely, just get rid of it. I typically because I'm a I'm a wimp, I tend to cut things in half before I would discontinue it completely. I'd say, hey, we're going to cut this in half for four weeks, have you come back, and we'll do it again. Uh, so this, this I guess, gives me more bravery to just discontinue it and move on. But I, again, I think as we talk about our very frail geriatric patients, less is more. Fewer medication interactions, fewer polypharmacy issues, fewer side effects, fewer issues with orthostatic hypotension, uh, more frequent follow-up, uh, checking their blood pressure at home and calling me if things are abnormal. Don't have them check it all the time, but have them check it intermittently. Don't don't overwhelm them by checking it every day. That's probably too much. But again, intermittently checking it. This study shows that we can discontinue the pill burden on our patients. And it, it adds to a mounting, uh, mountain, mounting, mounting, mountain, mounting heaps and piles of evidence to say that medication reduction in elderly is something that we should continue to strive for and continue to do and not rest until our patients are on as few medications as possible, especially the geriatric population. So did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Uh, UK listeners, how bad was my insult? Uh, great. Uh, I don't, you can hit me up at primarycarepod.gmail.com. Any questions, concerns, uh, sponsorship opportunities, uh, jokes, whatever it is, and uh, hit us up and uh, let us know. 
This is going to be Dr. Mark List and Bob uh, signing off for the night saying you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thank you. Have a great day.